To The Point, the negotiation podcast with Kel Jensen and Tim Cummings. Hello and welcome to our latest podcast in the To The Point series. I'm Tim Cummings and joined by the indomitable Kel Jensen, as always, and our topic today is Improving Corporate Negotiation Performance. Big topic, Kel. Yeah, it's, it's actually one of my favorites, Tim. I, I love talking about negotiation improvement, both both in governmental institutions and, and corporations and among individuals. So it's, it's a great topic. Well, now this arose because, in fact, a uh, contact I had from a, a university in the Netherlands and a group that are looking at corporate negotiation performance. And they came across a study that uh, we at ICCM, World CC, as we are now, did way back in 2008 when we partnered with uh, Hathwaite, who have done some tremendous work, I think, particularly in the area of negotiation behaviours. I've loved some of their content. And uh, they... uh, we did this fascinating study of uh, across the, the membership, asking them about uh, the quality of their negotiation process, the level of planning, of collaboration, uh, the methods that they used, if indeed there was a method. And, uh, well, Cal, it would be no surprise to you or I that, of course, those findings really revealed a, a very variable approach and a very variable level of discipline that was being applied. But what became particularly interesting was uh, my sort of co-researcher on this, uh, a guy called Andy Morehouse, took it away and scratched his head and he said, I wonder if there's any correlation between the sort of confidence and maturity of people's negotiation and uh, corporate profitability. And lo and behold, he found there was. There was a very real uh, correlation that companies that didn't possess a formal negotiation process, and that was about 80% of those that we'd surveyed, experienced an average net income decline of 63.3% relative to that high-performing 20%. Does that shock you, Gerald? Uh, it does, actually. Um, I, I, I think these numbers are uh, horrifying, and uh, and I, I'm, I'm. It's, it's a very interesting study, obviously, and I'm very curious about studies like that. You can always argue is 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 that the numbers, but it's it's not really important whether it's sixty three or it's forty or it's twenty eight. It's it's still uh, a remarkable impact, and it actually reminds me, Tim, about a study that. Um, one of my universities did, uh, Louvain University in Belgium, they they did a similar study, kind of, and they came up with a number that, um, and how they did it, that's a very long explanation, we don't have time for that today, but they came up with a number that 60% of the reason that any company is successful is based on their negotiation skills. Um, now, those two surveys, they may not necessarily be be connected, but, but there was a long answer to your question. Yes, it is a scary number. Now, the interesting thing is we look at the 20% that are performing well in, in this regard. Uh, I guess, Kel, inevitably, some of those fall into the non-negotiator camp. I mean, people like Apple and Google don't do badly on their profitability, 
Um, and uh, yet, of course, they are not renowned for undertaking a whole lot of negotiation. So we also have, uh, which of course is in itself a policy, so they definitely have a policy. Um, and so we do always have those high performers because they have some particular new unique product or hold on the market, which eliminates the need for negotiation from their perspective. Mm, absolutely. But as, as as you correctly said, I, I I don't know it myself, but I'm actually quite confident that that they do have some kind of negotiation strategy. And, you know, a, a negotiation strategy could actually be that we choose not to negotiate. Uh, but but at least they have made a, a, a firm decision on something. I, I want to add one thing, though, when you talk about Google and Apple, they, they might be a little bit unique since some would say that they might be a little bit um, dominant in certain markets, uh, market positions, and thereby they might be able to conduct a different behavior than the rest of us that has to compete in a in a free open market where there's a lot of competitors. So so uh, they, they may be a little bit different. But But again, I do certainly believe they actually have a negotiation strategy implemented. It, it, well, they, as you rightly say, I mean, absolutely they do, because that strategy is we're not going to negotiate, <laughs> um, or at least to the extent we are. It's in a very controlled set of circumstances. You know, of course, there are scenarios where they will negotiate something, but uh, it, it is probably the exception rather than the norm. One of my observations, Calder, you know, and I, I relate this back, I suppose, to my time with IBM, where in the 1980s, of course, it was a real powerhouse that was making a lot of money and, you know, had come from a background where it, too, didn't substantially negotiate. In fact, mm. it treated negotiation as objection handling. So mm. it trained its Salesforce accordingly. So, again good example of one that had a quite defined policy and training in how to execute on that policy. Mm, mm, yeah. Where it fell apart was as competition grew and as with the recognition that negotiation was needed. Um, but that occurred and, and developed in a very haphazard form. Um, so unfortunately, I think many organisations, as they reluctantly accept the need to negotiate, it becomes a matter of indiscipline and even perhaps chaos. <laughs> yes, yes, I would agree with you on uh, on that one. Um, my findings, back to your question uh, about that survey that you started off sharing, uh, is, is that still the case today? And uh, I, I do see improvement, Tim. I mean, I'm living and breathing negotiation with corporations globally every single day. And I started my career in this industry in 1998, and since 1998, I'm happy to report that there are improvements, but I can also report, and that's just human behavior, that changes take time. And it takes time for both governments and private organizations to realize that negotiation is a topic. And I think we should actually take one step back, Tim, and think about that negotiation as a discipline well we've been negotiating for thousands of years but recognize it as a discipline we have to train is actually not that old i mean um the famous getting to yes from harvard university that basically was the kickoff uh was published in 1983 and the organization i represent today was established in stockholm in sweden in 1976 so we are in the late 70s early 80s before we actually start to formalize our philosophy around negotiation so you know, the theory, the academic side about it is actually not that old. 
Now, of course, there's negotiation and negotiation. So as we get into the field of contract negotiation, which is probably the most common form of negotiation that an organization will undertake, well, that's got its own problems, hasn't it, Carl? Because mm. it is such a, a fragmented activity in terms of where authorities sit, where policies and standards sit. Mm. So that is one of the biggest barriers that I think people are often struggling with. And, uh, you know, the idea, I know, one that you strongly espouse, and we've debated uh, at length of the chief negotiation officer, you know, I think both of us recognise that if indeed ever such a role came into effect, mm. it would really be as a, a, a coordinating role, because mm. we are not going to get away from the fact that Finance is going to have its areas of authority and powers reserved. Legal will, similarly. Uh, the health and safety group, HR, you know, they've all got their policies and inputs. Right. Um, and, and assembling those is often a tortuous process. Mm. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. And and you know me, obviously, I'm in favor of the chief negotiation officer, but um, it, it's not a religious project for me. I mean, the, the the real point is is actually just have what I call a champion in any organization that that is represented at a level where they can make an impact, and that is basically just raising awareness about the importance of negotiation because that is often a title or a function that is missing today. So you might have some great negotiators in sales, you might have some great negotiators in procurement, you might even have some great negotiators in legal and contracting and finance, but they're kind of, you know, distributed and spread around and and they might even be doing their own negotiation in their own department. So it's kind of a silo thinking. Um, so they are negotiating on behalf of their own department and in the interest of their own department and sometimes not in the interest of, of the common good of the whole corporation. That's where the, the the collecting individual, the chief negotiation officer, or what title it, whatever title it should be, that, that's where that purpose uh, is. We've talked before about the other big problems being that uh, as a result of that fragmentation, negotiations don't tend to be holistic different people uh, without any particular rhyme or reason to the sequence of things um, are negotiating and giving away on particular points uh, mm. in, a, in a very um, erratic fashion. So, you know, frequently the negotiation of the terms and conditions of the contract uh, comes after people have already agreed the price uh, yeah. and perhaps uh, some of the critical commercial terms. Yeah. So we, we don't give the chance for anybody to really look at this as a holistic value proposition. Right. Absolutely. That it actually reminds me of a scary story. I was in in a negotiation with a client um, a couple of years ago and um, and he was running this negotiation on behalf of his organization. And I noticed I was sitting there as an advisor, so I was just quiet, but I, I noticed that he could improve the terms of payment quite a lot. But he didn't. He just left that. And he just gave the counterpart the benefit of that whole variable. So when we left that meeting, um, we were standing out in the parking lot, and I'm I'm a very curious individual. So I asked him, "Didn't you see that potential there were in in the variable terms of payment?" He's, "Oh yeah, oh yeah, I I did the calculation. I I know everything about it." But that's Frank in finance who get the benefit. 
and I don't, and I don't like Frank, so I didn't want to. I I did I didn't want to negotiate that, and that's to me. It, it sounds horrible and scary and funny at the same time, but that's actually reality. You know, we we tend to do what we're measured on, and negotiators in a company do exactly what what they're measured on. So if they're not measured on a certain variable, they don't they don't show an interest in in negotiating that. So you're absolutely right, Tim. That's that's one of the issues in many many in many organizations. Yeah, well, I was going to come to that measurement point because, of course, again, we look at groups like uh, sales, for example, who will often be most motivated by um, meeting a particular deadline or resolution. They don't really mind all that much of what it is that's negotiated as long as it uh, comes in this quarter. Um, and so there's a lot of game playing on both sides around these measurements, isn't there? Because obviously buyers know that quarter end is a critical time. They can get a better deal. Um, certainly one of the problems I often had held in big companies was uh, getting the key stakeholders to even take negotiation planning seriously. I mean, trying to get a quorum where you could have that planning conversation where the key people actually turned up was very difficult. Yeah. Um, uh, I don't, have you seen success stories in terms of people managing to really change that dynamic? Uh, yes, I do. Thank God I have. Um, I, I do see organizations who actually do kind of a role play who is is doing a test a, t a test run of negotiation before they actually dive out, jump out, and do the real negotiation with the supplier or, or the or or the buyer, whoever they're negotiating with. And I actually see um, incredible results just by doing that. Um, but I agree with you, Tim. The majority of organizations, the amount of time they prepare is sometimes the transportation time they have between their own office and the counterpart's office. You know, that's that's all the time they sit and prepare. Even though we are talking a million dollar contract, I'm 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 sometimes shocked about the lack of preparation. And you know what's interesting, Tim? Quite often, um, I I don't find that they're doing it because they're unintelligent or don't want to do it. Because most people are actually kind of right, especially if we're at that level. But the main reason often is actually um, they are they are unconsciously incompetent, as I call it. They don't know what they don't know. So they they are living in this world where they believe that they can just handle negotiation automatically. So one thing I recommend, and we've actually been doing it in on some of our previous podcasts, is checklist. I can only repeat that checklist, checklist, checklist. And I think we talked about it before. But if, you know, if you board a plane and and the door to the flight deck is open, you're sitting there and and you can watch the pilot sit with a checklist. And obviously, they're not doing it because it's the first time they're going to fly this Airbus. They're doing it even though they've been flying that two thousand times because they know if they forget something, uh, terrible things could happen. And, and we just have to implement the same mentality with negotiators. We have to sit with a checklist because we simply can't remember everything we have to do. So uh, long answer to your question, Tim. Yes, I, I, I am seeing, thank God, almost every week, wonderful examples of organization who actually gather a team and prepare properly. So, I mean, going back to us, opening at 63.3%, I, I think neither of us would um, claim that that improved performance is entirely down to better negotiation. Uh, and probably the, the truth is that discipline in negotiation is more a point of indic being indicative of, of discipline mm. more generally around the organisation. Right. So a lot of this, Cal, 
probably comes down to organizational culture, doesn't it? It does. It does very much so. And uh, and and back to what you started off saying, and I completely agree. If you look back to your history in IBM, and if you look into Apple and Google right now, there's a certain culture around negotiation right there. Um, but what I'm seeing right now, and and that's a general trend that I can can see coming, is there's a lot of buyers that are preparing to to push suppliers right now. So there's a lot of movement that you'll be sending out a, a letter stating that the suppliers have to come down by 10% and extend uh, terms of payment. And, and that's a culture that is coming in and changing. Now, I, I'm obviously getting old because I remember we had uh, we had another round of that about 10, 11, 12 years ago. I think we even talked about it back then, Tim. You know, there was another yeah. round where I think EU even at some point start talking about whether they should pass some laws limiting uh, big organizations' uh, ability to go out and demand something like that. I don't actually know what happened in that area because it seems to the whole thing is 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 repeating itself. And you were actually sharing a very interesting article with me last night, Tim. Indeed so. And, uh, I mean, it wasn't, to be fair, absolutely advocating you know, quite such a draconian step, but it wasn't far short. Uh, and, yeah, I mean, we we do have this interesting dichotomy of view at the moment. I mean, on one level, we have all these calls for increased collaboration, of, uh, of much more sharing of, uh, of shared responsibility. You know, we've got the pressure of the ESG, which absolutely, mm. if we're going to make environmental improvements, social justice improvements, companies are going to have to work together much more closely. Um, mm. And, you know, there is a recognition of that even amongst the regulatory authorities. And, of course, some of the regulations are going to enforce this much greater transparency and visibility of data and so on. So so we have these forces. We've got executives very often calling for greater collaboration because they realise that actually more collaborative relationships are also higher value relationships. Yet we've just still got this embedded, knee-jerk, reactive behaviour on the part of procurement groups, we mm. continue to have many legal functions, this risk-averse, let's transfer all the risk to the counterparty. Mm. Um, I don't know, is, is, is the CFO the, the, the bad guy here? <laughs> that's, a, that's a very good question. I've actually been sitting wondering about that exact question the last couple of days. Um, I don't know if it is the CFO, but what I know for a fact is that what's happening is that the procurement department is being told um, we have to improve by 3%. So your job is to gain 3% or 5% or whatever you, you, you can get, and you have to get it from the suppliers. And back to what I said earlier, we're doing what we're being measured on. So the poor procurement officer, he's being measured on getting a discount from the supplier. So that's his assignment. And then he gets desperate. So he's just sending letters out left and right, demanding it and hoping that somebody will react positively. So so there's a disconnect between what we want at a holistic level, because I completely agree with you. Uh, most surveys, we actually did one. Remember that during COVID, Tim, where we were out asking um, in general what, what people want to do. And there was a majority who answered they would like greater transparency and they would like more collaboration and they would like more data sharing. And, and you know, it looks like a Disney fairy tale. I got so happy I was sitting applauding. Um, but I haven't really seen the true effect of what people are saying they want to do compared to what they're actually doing. Yeah. Now, of course, the article that I sent you, Kel, uh, was interesting because a lot of its focus was on international suppliers. So we still sometimes have this embedded uh, belief that somehow 
you know, if they're not in our country, well, squeezing them is just fine. That's perfectly reasonable. <laughs> um, well, they're foreigners, aliens, so <laughs> we don't have to worry about them. Right, um, right. You know, I have this image almost of a, of a sausage, and, you know, what we're talking about here is behavior, which is because this is often front-end behavior, it's like squeezing towards the end of the sausage. Mm. And, uh, you know, I suppose in some instances, the, uh, the the supplier simply says no, in which case all the meat shoots out the end and you've lost it. Yeah. Um, but of course, otherwise, as you and I well know, all that behavior generally creates is uh, a bulge at a later point in the sausage. Yeah. Um, and so, yep, I've negotiated a saving, but but it's not real. It, it comes back and bites me in terms of either subsequent increases because, oh, no, that wasn't in scope. Oh, no, that wasn't in scope. Um, or alternatively, uh, a poor performance, which, of course, does revert into internal cost buildup. Right, right, um, exactly. So... So we 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 again are often focused and struggling here with the short termism of so much negotiation. Mm, exactly. Um, we 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 have to wrap up, unfortunately. But but we we might want to end it with with me talking about the golden rule. And we doesn't we don't have to be spiritual or, or religious or Christian, but the golden rule, you know, as we uh, most of us remember, it is only do to others what you like others to do to you. So perhaps we should leave our audience with that thought. You know, um, the demand, the threat, the ultimatum you're giving to the counterpart. Would you be okay if the counterpart gave that to you? Um, because if you are great, go ahead, do whatever you want to do. But if you don't appreciate the threat, the ultimatum, the request from the counterpart, well, perhaps you shouldn't ask that yourself either. That's absolutely right, Gerald. And I think we plan to come back with the part two of this session, which moves us into a more positive territory of actually what does good look like and what methods or techniques would one employ to really try and uh, improve negotiation practice and negotiation culture within an organization. Absolutely. I'll be looking forward to that. Well, so we will say goodbye to everybody for now. And... Uh, Thank you for joining us in this particular edition of our podcast. Thanks, everybody. To the Point, the negotiation podcast with Kel Jensen and Tim Cummings.